Um, I had a question real quick. I just want to take a quick poll on this because uh, your answer uh, is going to give me a, a huge judgment of your life, okay? I'm totally going to judge you right now. Uh, but uh, the media team got a picture for me. Uh, which, which banana is the good banana, okay? Let's just say from left to right, we'll do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So all the way on the left is one, all the way on the right is seven. Okay, we'll do it like this. How many of you are one? Raise your hand. Good. On the left is one. How many are one? Good. That's for hibaritos. That's not for eating. Okay, that's good. How many of you are all the way seven, all the way on the right? Good. That's for banana bread and milkshakes. Okay, that's good. How many of you are like right in the middle? You're four. Any fours in here? No. Any fives? Any fives? Oh, we got a couple fives. You like baby food? All right. Any six? Anybody six? No? Okay. All right. Some stomach stuff. Any twos? Anybody in the two category? All right. Like a little chalkiness? A little chalkiness to your banana? Where are my threes at? Any threes in the house? Three's the answer. Come on, guys. Three is the answer. Now, here's the problem. Number three lasts for approximately 37 minutes. Okay? You got about 37 minutes to eat number three before it becomes number four. Number one and two, it'll be that for about four months. And some of you, seven is still on your counter, dying, begging for you to do something with it. In your head, you're like banana bread. You know, I'm gonna get to that banana and it's just, it's, it's black. Black is the devil's soul. And you're just like, one day I'll get to that. Uh, here's the deal. I'm, I'm a solid three. You can put that down. I'm a solid three. I like bananas, but only when it's there. Once it starts to get spots, it's not good anymore to me. Once it gets mushy, no, no, no. I feed that to my daughter. That's not for me. Okay. I like a, a good kind of firm, still ripe banana and ain't, ain't nothing like when you grab a piece of fruit. And I just, every now and then I just crave a piece of fruit. But here's the deal with banana at least they give you a warning, right? The banana is kind, and it lets you know from the outside, hey, you don't want this. Nah, that's not for you, right? The banana gives you that indicator. The worst thing is when you grab a piece of fruit and you can't tell on the inside if it's good or bad. And I know everybody thinks they can tell. You know, we go to the supermarket and you see people got the smell test, and some people, I don't know why, they knock on the fruit. Uh, I, I get it with the watermelon. I don't get it with the banana. What are you knocking on a banana for? Uh, some people do the grip test, right? It's like, is it just firm enough? And then when they grip it, they actually mush it all up and ruin the piece of fruit. Uh, you know, everybody has their test. But the reality is there are some fruits that on the outside, they look great. And as soon as you cut it in, it's just like, ah. And that's the worst feeling, especially like for me. I, I get this a lot with avocados. Because an avocado, it's like a dollar sometimes for one avocado, and you have it for a specific reason. You're not just like, oh, I'll eat an avocado, right? You're like making something with it or you're adding it to something. Like when you pick up an avocado, there is a purpose behind that avocado. And when you cut it open and it's all brown and moldy inside, you're like, ah, no. And it just ruins it. I mean, you literally just, I don't, I'm not even hungry anymore. It just ruins the whole meal ruins the experience. Why? It's a bad piece of fruit. And yes, it's a fruit that's had a seed in it. Right? We won't get into that debate right now. But here's the deal. I'm, I'm talking about fruit today because the Bible tells us that you can identify things by how they look. 
If you have your Bibles, you can look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. There's a warning that the Lord gives, Jesus here gives to the disciples and to believers. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now this seems counterintuitive to what we've been taught growing up, don't judge a book by its cover. And I'm not saying you make final judgments on people based on maybe one thing they've done in life or, or oftentimes we can judge people on their biggest mistake. I'm not saying that. But the Lord is saying, listen, if you watch people long enough, you'll find out if it's a good piece of fruit or if it's a bad piece of fruit. And a lot of times we think, well, you know, it, it looks good and so it should be good. And that's not necessarily the case. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I were in Japan with Pastor Tom and Libby, uh, living the dream, you know, having fun. And uh, one of the things we did as we were walking around, we, we, it was all about restaurants for us, man. So we were, we were hitting up all the ramen shops and all these cool restaurants. And I don't know if it's because of the amount of tourism they get and people from different languages, but oftentimes in Japanese restaurants, on the window where you wait outside, they have basically all the dishes in plastic form. And so there's this entire industry of making plastic food in Japan. And it looks so real. I mean, you would swear that they just had that food and it was the real thing. But if you examine it and you touch it, you start to look at it, you realize, okay, this is fake. This is not the real thing. And fruit does that too. And I don't know if you've ever been fooled. Every now and then I've gone to a house and I'm like, oh, that, oh that's fake, right? It's just they have that fake fruit. I don't know why like uh, open houses have fake lemons. I know they say lemons make houses sell for like 30,000 more. Um, but there's this idea, you know, and again, nobody wants to buy real ones because those can go bad. And so they buy these fake fruits and it looks real. It looks good. It almost looks better than some real fruit. It's polished. It's clean. It looks fresh. But again, when you open it, it's hollow. There's nothing in it. It's not the real thing. And in the same way, the world is filled with Christians, even among leadership, who looked polished on the outside, but are either empty or rotted on the inside. And we need to be careful, not just because of the harm that they might cause to you, but because you might cause harm to others if you're not the real thing, if you're not producing good fruit. And so I was thinking about all this, and I wanted to look at a garden. And there's a specific garden in the Bible known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was very fond of this garden. This is a garden that he often went to to pray and to seek the Lord. And leading up to his crucifixion and eventual capture, he would spend time every day. He had this routine of praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this garden, there's a few pieces of fruit that aren't necessarily what they seem to be. And I want us to kind of take some time and focus in on that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, verse 47 through 53. This is the famous story of Jesus' betrayal when Judas finds him and they have this whole encounter. And I want you to notice a few things in this story. It says, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. 
Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? I ain't going to lie. That probably would have been my attitude. Like in the immediate, like the old school, you know, attitude would have kicked in. And I would have been like, yo, are we, is this going down? Like, God, are we going to fight them? And that's what they do. The Bible and one of the other gospels, it later tells us that the one who said that was Peter. Of course it was Peter. That's who Peter was. He was always running ahead. He was always jumping the gun. So he says, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. There's characters in this story that I think represent fake fruit. That on the outside, if you're not careful, you would look at them and think, no, that's, that's fruit. That's, that's what we're supposed to look like. That's what the people of God are supposed to look like. But as you open up and you dig deeper, you start to realize that that's not necessarily good fruit. And I think more and more, uh, especially with the advancements of, of social media, online presence, um, we are attracted to what perceives to be good fruit. Um, just, again, I say this all the time to our teenagers, but it's no different for adults. Uh, when we're posting things, we only ever post the best. We only ever post our best pictures, our best highlights. We're always presenting the good side of the fruit, not the rotted side. And oftentimes you can get fooled by that. More and more, especially during the last year when we shut down a lot of churches, people began to watch churches online. People began to check out a bunch of different services from all over the world. And there is nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times they start to follow these polished leaders and they have no idea who they really are. They just sound good and look good. And because of that, they're attracted to it. And again, I'm not trying to bash anybody. All I'm saying is it's hard to see if that fruit is good or not when I've never been around it. And so here in the story, you see a few instances of some bad fruit. And I want to walk through some of these things because we can look at these things and say, well, that's fruit. And in reality, it's not. For example, oftentimes we think it's real fruit because we can identify it by its public affection. Right? Look at how that person worships. Look at how they lift their hands. Look at, look at the, the way they pray. Like, that is a real Christian. Listen to the words they say. Like, they say all the right things, the these and the thous. They read King James. They're legit. Look at that person. And we look at their public affection, their adoration, the way they carry themselves, and we think that's a loving, caring Christian. But Judas kissed the Lord. He didn't yell and be like, hey, that's the guy, go get him. He didn't run up and, and have this spat with him or punch him or even point at him. He kissed him. In those days, greeting your rabbi with a kiss was a very warm greeting. It was a very endearing thing. It's akin to kissing your mom and dad hello. Jesus points out the irony to Judas when he says, you would betray me with a kiss? It's like, dude, the worst thing you could do to me, and you're going to do it while you kiss me. So what does that tell us? That tells us that you can show public affection for God and on the outside seemingly love the Lord and have your conscience completely seared on the inside. 
and have no adoration or affection genuinely for the Lord on the inside. You know, we can easily go through all the public motions on the outside and still be spiritually dead on the inside. If you're a Christian long enough, you figure out the rhythms pretty quickly. You know when to lift up your hand. Sometimes the song will even tell you. You're like, oh, the song said it. I got to do it, right? You know when to shout. You know the appropriate time to say amen. You know how to respond when somebody asks you how you're doing. Oh, I'm blessed. Praise God. Everything's great. Thank God I'm good. I mean, your whole life could be falling apart, but it's such an automatic response because you're just used to this colloquial Christianese verbiage that you just spit it out because I'm just conditioned with that. And on the inside, you're rotting away. We need to be careful because just because somebody says all the right things doesn't mean they're living all the right ways. And this is one of those things that we see here in Judas. Judas, a disciple. If somebody was watching Judas, they would say, hey, listen, I don't know him personally, but he walks with Jesus. He did miracles with Jesus. He, he healed the sick with Jesus. Like, this is one of Jesus' guys. Surely this is one of his guys. You didn't know what was going on in Jesus' heart. You didn't know that he was a thief. You didn't know what was happening. The other disciples didn't know. Jesus knew. Jesus was fully aware of what Judas was doing. And yet, when Jesus right before this says, one of you will betray me, all the disciples ask the same question. Is it me? Because they all recognize I have the capacity of being bad fruit just as much as anybody else in this room. I think we can easily become Judas when we start to feel like we would never be Judas. I think the moment you think you're above that is the moment you start to slide into that. Because there's no fear of it. There's no worry of, you know, if I'm not careful, I might begin to, to sear my conscience. I might begin to grow cold to the Lord. Although on the outside, I'm continuing to do all the right things. On the inside, I'm wasting away. Matthew Chapter 15, verse 8 through 9, Jesus here quotes Isaiah when he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. You know, sometimes we can get caught in the outward appearance and not be doing well on the inside. For example, uh, I, I love my parents, but I can never shake this from my mom and dad's thing. If, if they were here and saw me preaching and wearing jeans, they would swear that no one's going to get saved, nothing's going to happen, God's not going to move, because the pastor doesn't wear jeans when he preaches. He's supposed to wear dress pants. You know, you're supposed to wear a nice suit or a nice outfit. And I'm like, so what did they wear before the suit was invented? <laughs> and what did they wear before dress pants? Like, technically, shouldn't I just be like in a tunic or a little collar? I mean, that makes more sense religiously to me than just wearing, you know. I'm like, okay, uh, but again, that's, that's religious thinking. And sometimes we think, well, if they just, if they do all the religious things, then they're real. I remember when I was a kid one time, uh, maybe like 14 years old, me and my buddy were at McDonald's and this one young man who we didn't know was trying to mess with us and get in our face and trying to, you know, tough, be tough or whatever. And then he noticed my friend had a, like a Jesus cross on his neck. And I, I didn't have anything because I was broke, but he had like a Jesus cross on his neck. And he goes, oh man, my bad. I don't, I don't, mess, with, I don't mess with church people, bro. My fault. And then he tried to mess with me. And my friend starts laughing. He's like, oh, dude, I ain't never been to church in my life. This is the real guy. <laughs> he's like, he's the Jesus boy. Like, I just, this, my mom gave me this. <laughs> and listen, we can get fooled because we think, well, that person does all those right things. And therefore, that means that they are that, aren't they? No, that's not true. And not just for them. It's not true for you. Just because you showed up here I say this to the kids forever. This has always been my line. Just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're, in a, you're a car. 
And just because you're in church doesn't mean you're Christian. It's not about our demonstrative or, or, or how we perceive ourselves because I don't like eating the outside of the orange. I like the inside. That's where the nutrients are. That's where the good stuff is. We need to be careful about assuming that our outward appearance and our, our public passion somehow is an indicator of our inward nature. The second thing that I notice is not just with Judas, but then Peter and some of the other disciples there. I think we've gotten to a point oftentimes, especially when it comes to social media, where we have equated righteous anger as justifiable. But we confuse what righteous anger is with unrighteous anger, right? Unrighteous anger. The disciples wanted to defend Jesus. So we would look at that and go, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like they're trying to, to grab Jesus. They're trying to arrest Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. I have to defend Jesus. But uh, brother, sister, I need you to know, Jesus does not need your defense, he is fully capable of taking care of himself. And sometimes in our own hubris to try to defend the gospel or defend Jesus, we hurt other people. We attack other people, other groups of people, people that we don't agree with or people that, and again, more often than not lately, Christians are more vocal about what they're against than what they're for. And it's no wonder the world recoils against us and says, I don't want to have anything to do with you because it seems like you hate everything when God has called us to love people. And this is something that is, it takes time because, listen, I get it. There are moments where, where I'll see something and I'll feel an offense towards it or, or I'll see sin and, and there's an offense. And, again, there is place for righteous anger, right? When I look at the fact that there's so many people that are in sex slavery and children that are being abused, I get angry. There's a righteous anger to that that causes you to do things to make sure that that ends. That's, that's great. That's important. That's something that I think the Holy Spirit leads us through. But there's also unrighteous anger where you have no justifiable reason to be angry and even less to sin while you're angry because the Bible doesn't say you can't be angry, but it does say not to sin in your anger. And oftentimes, our, we, we have this anger, and rather than doing anything positive, we just attack people. And in that process, you have actually sinned against the very God that you were trying to defend. Listen, James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. We stop doing that. Slow to speak. Definitely don't do that. And slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce Righteousness that God desires. We're talking about produce, aren't we? We're talking about fruit. Anger is not going to produce the kind of righteousness that God wants in our lives. We got to learn, and this is a learning curve, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Listen, I, this is a thing I had to train myself, particularly as a pastor, because I understand that in the position I'm in, I don't necessarily have all the freedoms that some others might. There are so many things that I would love to post, but I don't. Because I want to be slow to speak, even online, because that's still speaking. I want to be careful, especially online, because my words can be interpreted any number of ways. You don't hear my inflex. You don't understand exactly where I'm coming from. You may not understand the context. You just see a blurb. And it can be easy to, to misunderstand that. And so I got to be careful. Even there, so, you, know how, you realize how funny I could be online if I just posted whatever I wanted? I'm hilarious, okay? I feel like I would kill it. But I also feel like I would damage my testimony because there are going to be times where my humor is not found humorous to everybody else. And might be times where people just misunderstand something I might say. And so I need to be careful. 
Are there times where I see debates and I want to jump in it? Yes. Listen, there have been plenty of people who have tried to debate me, and in my head, I have debated them so hard. But on my lips, I say nothing because I'm like, this is not going to go anywhere. This is a pointless conversation. And so usually from my lips, like, hey, no. Well, hey, agree to disagree. You know, God bless you. Yeah. Hey, I'm, no, absolutely. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. And in my head, I was like, totally don't agree with you. I think you're dumb. But, but having this engaged conversation to fight you just to fight you is pointless. That's why the Bible says, don't cast your pearls to swine. Don't give something valuable to someone who doesn't really understand the value of what you're offering them. And so if this person is not willing to get in a real conversation, if they're not genuinely curious and want to have a dialogue where we come to an understanding, if there's not a love in that process, that's not a conversation I want to get into. And nine times out of ten, you don't accomplish that online, right? Because somebody else is going to chime in and it becomes this bickering war and everybody goes back to their echo chambers and no one cares about each other. And that produces anger. And anger will never produce the kind of righteousness that God wants. It might look good, and here's where I keep seeing it over the last year, a couple of years. Christians that will post something in anger or to try to defend God, a bunch of other Christians, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these people go into this small echo chamber where they've all encouraged each other, but they've damaged their testimony. And so that's great. Everyone who already thinks like you keeps thinking like you, but you never affected the people that God has put you into this world to affect. Well, let me get say that again. You did affect them just in a horrible way. And so we need to be careful. Just because you're angry doesn't mean you're justified. We need to learn to to lean on the Lord with that and to not allow our emotions to dictate our actions. Peter had to figure that out the hard way. And Peter, if you you read the story in Matthew or in, in any of the Gospels, Peter is making mistake after mistake after mistake. And every time it's with good intentions, but bad thinking. Jesus, even right before this, went as far as calling him Satan, right? When Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be captured, and Peter's like, never, Lord. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because, Peter, you don't get what's really going on, what really needs to happen. You're only worried about what you see on the outside. And you're producing bad fruit as a result of it. And just after the story, right when Jesus does get captured, Peter ends up hiding and, and this guy who had all this hubris and all this courage and I'll fight for you and I'll pull my sword out. Just a chapter later, when a young 12-year-old girl points out the fact that he was one of Jesus' disciples, he runs scared denying it. Where was all that courage then? It was, just, it was never real fruit. It was bad fruit. And because of that, it didn't last. And then the third thing, there's one more group of people who were in that garden. You had Judas you had Peter and some of the disciples. And then you had leading priests, captains of the temple guard, and elders, which tells me something about this. Just because a person has a title or a position doesn't mean they're good fruit. Just because there's a title and a position doesn't mean they're good fruit. Let me give you a quick story. A few years ago, I was at Super H Mart. All my Filipinos know what's up. I'm at Super H Mart uh, doing a little shopping. And uh, I walk in, I see, you know how they have advertised like with the prices, different produce. I'm in the produce section and I see mini watermelons. And I see it from far and I'm like, oh my, those watermelons are tiny. So I go up and sure enough, it's a whole case of limes, key limes. 
But look, it says mini watermelon on the bottom. So I'm like, nice try, Super H Mart. You almost got me. You almost got me to buy mini watermelons. The most sourest watermelon you've ever had. <laughs> That's a real picture. I took that myself. And again, just because there's a title doesn't mean it's the real thing. Just because it's labeled doesn't mean it is what it's labeled to be. And we need to be careful about that. Because sometimes we can get easily sucked in to a person's title. Well, well, well they're a pastor. Why would they lie? Because they're a person. They're, they're not, we're not superhuman. We didn't suddenly like get powers that are, are unique to everybody in the world just because we were given a title. Oh, well, they're a teacher. They're a person. Well, he's a doctor. Person. And every person is capable of sin. Every person is capable of failing. Now, again, we honor leadership, we respect leadership, but we don't blindly follow leadership. We need to be careful in understanding that, yes, I, I, I honor your position. I love my pastor. Pastor Carlos, to me, is one of the greatest, by the greatest pastor I've ever had. He's a spiritual father. I love him to death. I trust him. And he's probably one of the wisest men I've ever spoken to. But he is not Jesus. And so we've had plenty of times where I've disagreed with him. I still love him. But to, to say he's infallible is incorrect. And the same goes for any leader in any position in any part of the world. Be it the president, be it the mayor, be it this, be it that. And again, you can have all these opinions you want on them. But what I'm saying is nobody's perfect. So just because this person you think is better than that person or, or this leader should be followed and that, they're just people. And we need to be careful with confusing them with Jesus just because they have a title. So here you go. These are leading priests, captains of the temple guard, and elders. These are the leaders of the Jewish community. All of them represent the, the police, basically, the, the social construct, the religious construct. All of them are here to capture Jesus, not worship him. To destroy Jesus, not to lift him up. And if we're not careful, even those of you who maybe have a title... And that's why the Bible is clear. Listen, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're just as liable as I am, right? Because the Bible says, woe to you who, who aspire to the role of a teacher because there's a double judgment on your life. That, that's a serious thing that God says. And so we need to understand that, yes, when you're given a title, there's a little bit of extra stuff on it. But also be careful to assume that they're perfect. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. Let me pause right there. He's making a distinction. Listen, you honor and you respect the position that they have as your leaders, right? He's, he's very clear that they're the teachers of religious law and they're the official interpreters of the law of Moses. Practice and obey whatever they tell you but don't follow their example, for they, they don't practice what they teach. What is he saying? Listen, he's saying if I'm a corrupt, horrible leader on the inside, if I'm bad fruit, that doesn't nullify what I'm preaching if it's gospel. It doesn't nullify what the Bible says if it's gospel. There have been amazing bad fruit who have produced good fruit, if I can use that analogy, because the gospel is true and what they're preaching is true, but they're rotting away. 
And so it's important to understand because sometimes uh, we can get really cynical about leadership and we can swing the pendulum to the other side and, and we can start to blame leadership for a lot of things and we could say, well, it's because of this and it's because of that. Listen, the gospel is still true and what they're teaching you might very well still be true if it lines up with the word of God. But if their example doesn't line up, be very careful not to follow them. If the way they live, if the way they carry themselves, the way they treat their wives or their husbands, the way they you know, raise their children, the way they uh, walk among people, the way they disciple, whether they do or don't, like look at those things. And if they don't line up, you're not obligated to follow that example. As a matter of fact, be careful not to. And again, I'm using church because that's the context that we're in. But really, this is true in any case. Because understand, for, for some people, you are the closest thing to a pastor they know. You're the only Christian maybe in their lives or the only real deal who's trying to grow in Christ and you represent that leadership to them. You have that title. And I say this all the time, I thought this even as a teenager, the worst thing you could ever have is an unbelieving friend tell you, I thought Christians weren't supposed to be like that. Or I thought you were a Christian. When they watch you doing something Christians aren't supposed to do, saying things Christians aren't supposed to say, and they stop and they pause and they go, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be good fruit? And listen, I get that guilt trip because immediately we're like, well, you know, we're, we're not perfect and da da da. And I, I get all that, but they caught you. They caught you in something that you know was wrong. And unfortunately, it's usually the unbelievers that are willing to point it out because they were hoping you were different. I was hoping you were good fruit. I wasn't ready to eat yet, but I, I was hoping you would be. We need to be careful to make sure. We do that. And listen, we got to take it a step further because what I am saying, you can read this and, and easily think, well, I don't want to be an example for anybody. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the apostle Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's a very bold statement to ask somebody to follow you. Even in regular context, I'll be real with you, especially since GPS came out, when we're, like, if we're going to multiple cars somewhere and someone says to me, I'll just follow you, I cringe. I'm like, please don't follow me. I hate the pressure. I hate having to wait at stoplights. I hate having to look in my rearview mirror to see if you're there, especially if you're a bad driver. I'm like, I'll just give you the location. You get there on your own. Don't follow me. But easily in Christian circles, we can do the same thing. Because it takes pressure off of us to have to be who God called us to be. And so we say, hey, hey, don't follow me. Just follow Jesus, right? Hey, I'm, I, I, I'm a pastor, but, you know, just follow Jesus. Don't follow me. No, no. Paul is clear. We should strive to be an example that's worthy of following at the same time only in as much as we are following Christ. So, hey, listen, follow my example. But if there's anything I do that is unbiblical or unchristlike, you have every freedom to deter from that. Because you shouldn't do that. So there's a bold statement. It's, it's saying both sides. It's saying, listen, I'm striving to be an example that you can follow in Christ, especially with new believers who have no idea how to do anything, how to read their Bible, how to worship, how to pray, how to grow in their relationship with God. They need physical examples on earth. That is why God has us here to guide them. What they don't need is examples on how to be pushed further away from God. And so there's this responsibility we as believers have to not just check our leadership, but to check our own heart and to make sure, am I an example that's worthy of following? Are the people in my life able to be closer to God because of my example, or are they more distasteful now of the Lord because they tried me and I left a bitter taste in their mouth? Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. 
This is a, a fascinating thing. I remember as I was reading this, it, the Lord just began to pop these ideas out just so vividly for me. And, but I just remember thinking that, man, the disciples couldn't do it. The leaders couldn't do it. Like, who's capable of being good fruit? The Pharisees, they knew, in uh, that time at least, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, they knew it better than anybody. They were teachers of the law. I mean, they knew it backwards and forwards and still couldn't recognize Christ before them. Peter, he preached the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved. Peter is this powerful, anointed guy. He's one of the inner three of Jesus. And he kept fumbling and kept messing up. Judas, with all his faults, and again, we we've, you know, obviously look at Judas now as another Hitler-type, demonized character that has no redemption. But he was still a disciple who performed many miracles and walked with the Lord for three years and still couldn't do it. So how do we do it? How are we then to produce good fruit? I think there's one real key thing you need to pick up when it comes to what's going on in that garden. One main reason why no one in the garden with Jesus was able to represent real fruit. And that's because although Jesus was in the garden with them, they were not connected to Jesus. Despite the fact that Jesus was in the garden with them, they weren't with Jesus. Judas was betraying Jesus. Peter was running ahead of Jesus. The religious leaders were condemning Jesus. They were all around Jesus. They just weren't connected to him. If we're not careful, we can be in the garden, but not beyond the vine. We can be in the vicinity of God and have no connection to him whatsoever. John chapter 15, verse 4 through 5 says, Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can be in the garden and still be disconnected from the vine. I, I thought about just this analogy. Um, I love to go like apple picking. You can judge me, it's nice. It's a beautiful fall day thing. And when you go apple picking, if you've ever gotten to go apple picking, there's these orchards with rows and rows of apple trees. But there's also uh, an interesting smell as you drive through some of the parts of the orchard, particularly some of the portions of the orchard that have finished their season and, and those apples are starting to die off. It's a rotting smell. It's a sour smell. And even when you go to pick those apples off the tree, you could still smell that on the ground. Because at every apple orchard I've ever been to, the ground is filled with apples that have either fallen from the tree naturally or people who are just jerks pick it off and throw it on the ground, take a bite and leave it on the ground. But the ground is filled with rotting apples. Apples that had the same beginning as the one on the tree, the only difference is they're no longer connected to the vine. And because they're no longer connected to the vine, there's no longer life in them. And so if you're not living, you're dying. And now they're slowly rotting and regressing and become good for nothing. We got to be careful because we can easily assume, well, I'm in the orchard, pastor. I come every week. I'm faithful. I watch online 
Every week, I'm in the orchard. I've been, I've been in the orchard since I was 10 years old, Pastor. I grew up in the orchard. Doesn't mean a lot, though, if you're not connected to the vine. Doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how much you've read the Bible in and out. Apart from God, you can do nothing. And so I want to challenge you this morning. This isn't a big rah-rah kind of message, and I don't anticipate a lot of, hey, that was great, Pastor, really loved it. Because this really is an introspective, self-examining type of message. But I think it's important to do that periodically, to take a moment to look inside your heart and see, is everything the way it needs to be? Am I connected to the vine, or have I been pulling away? Let me be honest with you. This past year, a lot of fruit's fallen off the vine all over the world. People who, for lack of a better term, still come up with excuses on why they're not going to come back to church, but the reality is they're not coming back. And it's not the building they're not coming back to. It's God that they're not coming back to. I don't care if you go to another church. You can go to any building you want. If you're not connected to the Lord, it's irrelevant. And there have been a lot of fruit that have fallen from the vine. But the truth is, there might be a good amount of fruit in this room that's not connected. But the beauty of my Lord is he can always graft you back in. He can always tie you back together. He can always connect you back to the vine. So I want to challenge you as we close. I'm going to ask you if you can, would you stand for me? One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament was David. When he stands before the Lord and he says, search my heart, God. See that there is nothing in there that would offend you. It's a bold, powerful statement to say, God, I'm not going to just assume that I'm all right. I'm going to give you permission and authority to search my heart and point out anything that's not supposed to be. And I want to challenge you this morning to ask yourself, are you attached to the vine? Or have you allowed yourself to drift away over the last few years? Are the people you are allowing to influence you the most godly? Are they bearing fruit? Are you producing the type of fruit that would nourish people or make them sick? With every head bow, every eye closed, the reality is we need God's help in order to produce any kind of fruit because apart from him, we can do nothing. So in a moment, I want to pray for the believer, but before I do, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a personal relationship with him, or, or maybe at some point you did, but the reality is you've been away from the vine for a long time. And in your heart and in your spirit, you know you're not right with God. I want to give you an opportunity before we walk out of the orchard to make sure that you're connected to the vine again to make sure that you're in a position to be able to produce good fruit. So with every head bow, every eye closed, no one's looking around. Sir, ma'am, if you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus, but you want to make sure before you walk out of here that you're in the right place with the Lord, that you've accepted him as your Savior. And all I need you to do is lift up your hand and I'll include you in this prayer.